Tyler here from Between Sundays. Look, this is a part two of our conversation with David Bell about the Enneagram. If you're looking for part one, we talk about numbers two through six on the Enneagram, and uh, you're going to want to listen to that. It's fascinating discussion. He's kind of a resident expert. So this episode here, part two, will focus on numbers seven through one. It's weird because it's circle, but we're starting with seven, going to one. And uh, yeah, download, subscribe, tell a friend. We love you. And now back to the episode. Are you ready to jump to number seven? If barely seven. Oh my. <laughs> I'm always excited to talk about sevens. Is that because you didn't want me to talk about sevens? Se- no, that <laughs> no, was. That's exciting. That's it. This is. That's the excited horn. I yes, that was the same horn that like beeps me at the end. No, that's no, different. that's that's, that's a different. different horn. That's a negative horn. This is a positive really horn? pumped up horn. Mm. It's a very it's a resourceful uh, horn. All right, then let's start <laughs> talking seven. about ready? it. Ready? Sure. Go. Probably the most important aspect of understanding a seven is how much they avoid pain and how they reframe pain, and they do it faster than you can say the word pain. And so, if you love and care for a seven, you got to get them in touch with their pain. You hear that, Jed? We gonna get you in touch with your pain. Now, that was a little. That was a little mean because I just right. focused on the pain. What pain? I don't know what you're talking about. I have no pain ever. I don't so even. Barry's, the, Barry's a seven. Yeah. So Woo. the seven's the adventurer, the enthusiast, the fun person, the whoop whoop person over here to my left. That's uh, going on and on. But best for Barry to talk about being a seven. Tell us about your pain. Well, I saw Barry live out a seven clearly a couple weeks ago. We went to um, a cabin in the woods as our small group, and there was talk about going on a hike. And I was walking down a hill and Barry was sprinting up the hill and he did one of those like fist pump in the air jumps and he yes. said, adventure. <laughs> yep. yes. That is only half, through and through. only half joking too. I really <laughs> genuinely love it. Did you have your best uh, thong sandals on as you no, walked down the hill? No, I was more prepared. <laughs> I was more prepared to psych. I, I, when I first took the test, I looked at what it said about a seven and I was like, that is, there's no way that it's me. Because the seven is a hedonist and someone potentially pleasure someone seeker. who seeks pleasure. And I was very disciplined and I had I had all the rules in order and I had my life in order. And I thought this couldn't be me. The more I looked into it, though, the more I realized that my motivation is constantly to seek comfort and security and mm. and enjoyment in everything. And I um, I'm. Nothing if I don't have another adventure coming to plan for and get excited about and to go on. Mm-hmm. Like I want new experiences. I create, I have, I've over the course of my life, I've had like 73 different hobbies and interests. And I, the, my, my slogan for my life is, uh, I may swim in a lot of pools, but I always dive in head first. And that should be our sign off. That's, it could be, it would be for me. <laughs> So I, so for me wow. being a seven and, and only now, only recently have I realized just how often I do those things as a way of My not goodness. feeling. Oh, uh, really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I noticed the daydreams that I have, uh, the more outlandish the daydream, the more likely I'm struggling with something <sighs> and unwilling to admit it. And so, so how does that feel then? Are you like disappointed once you learn that? Or are you like, no, it just makes more sense. And now I'm like, oh, no wonder I always love thinking about like literally okay so my we were on a family vacation down in Florida and me and Olivia were we were in the car driving back to the airport to go home and as we're driving out she's a four and so she's 
let's take this moment to think back on the whole vacation and just reflect on how yeah. wonderful it was and how great it felt to be with family and everything like that. And I'm like, so let's see. In a few weeks, we'll be getting in the car. We'll be going oh on this trip to Toronto. And so oh, I, my goodness. I was already on to the next one. You're going and to so, Toronto? Yeah, yeah. Where are you going to Toronto? We are doing a vegan restaurant crawl in Toronto. Different reason <laughs> than the normal Toronto trip. Really? Yeah. Why Toronto? Uh, they have the best. They vegan have a lot of vegan restaurants, and they're within driving that. distance. They're in one. They're one of the top. Vegan uh, yeah. Olivia and I are not vegans. Uh, we're vegetarians, but and this is interesting too. Another difference between the seven and the four. Uh, I'm a vegetarian because I love animals. She's a vegetarian because she hates animal suffering. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Opposites attract, guys. It's telling you. I'm married to a seven, and even this morning, no, last night we were talking about talking about a lot of this. And she said a lot of the same things. Like, I'm nothing if I don't have something to look forward to. Even if it's, I know I'm going to get a coffee. Yeah. Mm. Like, even if I know that tomorrow I'm going to Starbucks to get a coffee, that is enough for me to find joy in so what's So it can ahead. be simple pleasures. It doesn't have very, to be. Yeah, very much It doesn't so. have to be elaborate. But when we go on vacations, we're not even there yet. She's like, we only have like six days left. I'm like, yeah, we do. Let's enjoy it. Or like so does day she two, she's like, swing? can you believe like we're me. about to leave in like four days? Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. Stay present to the moment. Yeah. yeah. Sevens are awesome, though. I love sevens because if it weren't for sevens, I would probably stay in my house all day. That's true. Sir. Yeah. True yeah. story. They bring life. The interesting thing that people, I think, perceive of sevens is that they are uh, impulsive and spontaneous to the point where they're not very focused. Uh, the thing about sevens is, is that spontaneous impulsiveness, and it can seem that way, and yet they're very grounded and very calculating. They're in the thinking triad. They do think. And, and I was reflecting even this week of something that dawned on me of, of, I don't know any number that's more about being on time than sevens. I think every seven I no know. No way. Wow. Every seven I know is... And, and this is, I know could be wrong here. I don't want to overstate it, but I started thinking through various sevens and they are on time oh or goodness, early yes. all the is time. Is that true of Jed? That's ridiculously so true, true of, of Jed. It's very true of me. It's definitely oh not gosh. true of Lauren. <laughs> oh, wait. Well, maybe it has something Ron to do Stoller, with the wings. <laughs> maybe. I mean, uh, is she a Ron Stoller is a seven and he is always on time. Yes. Anyway, saw numerous people. Wow! So, it just was a so thought I'm about a sevens. six married to a seven, and that that has been yeah, interesting a, combination. Oh my yeah. goodness! Yes, it's been very interesting. Yeah. Hey, let's think this through. I think we ought to slow down and really consider whether or not we let's will go. perish on this roller coaster. <laughs> no, I want to be in the front row with the kids by my side. Yes, very scary. One time when Lauren and I were dating, we were going to a movie, and we drove separate because we were coming from two to separate parts of town. I'm on time. I'm always on time if I can help it. It's true. And she was not only 10 minutes late to a movie, which drives me insane. <laughs> uh, she was not only 10 minutes late. She went into the wrong theater. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting out like waiting. I'm like, where are you? She's like, I'm in the theater. At the wrong movie? She's at the right building. She's in the wrong room. But the but the same. But they had like four showings of the, the same, same movie, movie. Okay. so she's in the wrong room. The one that started at the time that she. And arrived. so she was like thirty minutes late. Wow. Here's another thing about wow. about at least it's been true of me, and maybe you guys with your seven spouses can speak into this. But I always want to share every experience that I'm mm -hmm. having with people I care about, 
and mm-hmm. and whether it's this new thing I learned about, like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about mm-hmm. this thing, or or hey, let's watch this movie together because it means something to me, right. mm-hmm. and I know that you're gonna feel the same way as me, and so I want to draw you into it. Is that mm-hmm. is that true, Jed? Yeah, it is true of Jed. But I would have said before coming here and learning about all of this Enneagram stuff, I would have said that that was because of the way he was brought up. He was brought up in a very close knit community where he was constantly surrounded by other people, and he's always been described as a people person. That's just part of who he is so I would have said oh man like you just you desire to have people near you because that's all you ever knew growing up um people 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 everywhere you know but no like he's definitely he doesn't he doesn't want to watch football alone no way it's way more fun to watch football with any other person who enjoys football like he wants to be that guy that jumps off the couch and laughs and high fives and you know (laughs) all that stuff like yeah yeah we're we're like my dad he likes watching football but he'll fall asleep watching football like it, it doesn't have to be a communal event for jed most things he desires to be a communal event i'm devastated when someone else is like on their phone when, when i'm trying to show them an important movie or something <laughs> i'm like just <laughs> be in the moment with me is your dad a bears fan is that why my dad asleep? is oh that's so bad he um, is a bears fan but no that's not why he falls asleep <laughs> when i took the assessment no the inventory when i took the inventory i had like a 0.4 percent seven it's about as much as mine. I have a very low seven. A very low yeah. seven. My wife is like that's why you married. Exact opposite. That's why I love her. I want I want more of that. Yeah. I wish yeah. I wanted to watch stuff with other people, but I'm just like Super Bowl rolls around and they're like, What party are we gonna go to for the Super Bowl? And can we just watch it here by ourselves? Yeah. Like yeah. that's what I want to do. Yeah. All right, let's keep moving. Number eight. Ready? You're almost sure. there. Assertive strong, confident, and if they're not careful, a bull in a china shop without realizing that they are in a china shop. Eights are great. Me and Barry are giving you the face. Yeah, what's up with that, guys? There it is. Mm, he said bull. Don't, don't we need eights, in though? A china shop. Yes, we need eights. Eights are great. I had said that phrase at the end on purpose because they get they are the most misunderstood on the Enneagram. You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want that fours. China to not be broken, would you? <laughs> no. Yeah. We need eights. Fours are, fours are the most complex number on the Enneagram, uh, people say. They're going to love and, that you said yeah, that. Oh, absolutely, yes. And eights are the um, most misunderstood, especially female eights. Uh, they're yeah. very misunderstood. Oh, interesting. Not, I could totally see that. They are, they are given the wrong name by people. Not very nice. Yeah. So, in my experience, I'm an eight. Yes. And a quite healthy one in my estimation. Yeah. I, I give you props. Well, that's been we an effort. Some time together. It's been an effort. Your discipler have, must have spent a lot of David, time working David with David and I <laughs> went through the way of discipleship for about four years, and it was just me crying profusely about surrendering and trusting because I was in control. And I, anyways. No, not crying. But wow. yes, profusely talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so in my experience, I've spent a lot of my life manipulating relationships, manipulating people, because I knew that I could have control, uh, not just the relationship, but of myself enough to feel powerful or feel like that I was at least at a distance where, uh, I wouldn't get hurt. So, and every, every, um, personality, I mean, every famous person that's an eight is like terrible, right? It's like Saddam Hussein. Well, Saddam Hussein didn't self-identify as an eight. For all we know, he was a five. I mean, <laughs> right. that's the problem. Is, is but that's why no yeah. one wants to people be an eight. talk about it from the external. So right. yeah, you got to get like, away from that. That's if not you're an eight, you are just like 
Hitler. No. <laughs> Did you not hear what he just said? That is not helpful at all. Eights are great. Eights, Eights are great. Right. Say it with me. Um, I One of my coworkers, Maggie, she's on maternity leave right now, but she's an eight. And it is actually great working with a healthy eight. Uh, on my team, anytime there was anything that went wrong or someone made an accusation or anyone, you know, would, would do something that, that would cross me even she was on it. She was like absolutely ready to go to war over whatever it was. And I say we was cause we haven't worked while she's been having her baby, but, um, like I just love having an eight mm-hmm. on my team, yeah. uh, who, who knows that she's an eight and is willing to, uh, yeah, is willing to be so. Done. She gets stuff done, and yeah. she will not suffer a fool. So eights, I love um, it. I love it. Want or are do not shy away from confrontation. We are not scared of it. We're the first ones to raise our hands to say, "I'll do it." Like I'm not scared of that. Well, that's because you find intimacy and connection through it. Through confrontation. Yep. What if you have a wing nine? Uh, then that's a, a, a little more challenging. If your wing is a nine, it's a little unusual. So nine with an eight wing or eight with a nine wing is, is a, uh, what's the word we call it? Um, it just creates a little bit of a tension because you have eight. That's the highest energy number and nine. That is truly the least energy number. Um, but still the eight is going to win out and go after the confrontation and find it. Like a, like an arsonist firefighter where you like set the room on fire so you can put it out. Yeah, and, in, yeah, in a, on a bad day. Yeah. Well, so I, I said I've spent a lot of my life manipulating people. I don't want to stop there. Like I've, I feel like I've grown in the last few years um, to recognize that unhealthy part. Mm-hmm. And I think that my the eight that comes out now, I feel like is more um, productive. And I, I care a lot about the underdog in almost mm-hmm. every situation. And um, that's what's gotten me to care about things like racial injustice and uh, the people who have special needs over in Ukraine and even even people that go to Grace or work at Grace that I that they have a cause that they're taking up. I'm like, yes, I am on your side and I'm going to fight for you. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like I've channeled that manipulation in a former life to healthy ways of really, like, distributing that. And so I like being an eight now. I I said earlier that I wanted to be a five, but I but, like being an eight. But you took it again last night. I took it this morning and I'm still an this eight. This morning and you're still an eight. Still an eight. Well, it's a good example of what you said about manipulation. So you manipulate or you're vulnerable to manipulate so you're not controlled. Exactly. I manipulate because I want to be liked. So it's motivation. Mm-hmm. So that's where people would say, oh, three and eight. I mean, someone could assume that I'm an eight in certain circumstances mm-hmm. based on my leadership and about how I act mm-hmm. in a situation. There's no, I'm not. I mean, Yes, it's a it's a, a part of my personality and sometimes stronger than others. But again, motivation is the key of the Enneagram. And this is why telling people what their type is uh, just really isn't usually helpful unless they're asking you to help them with what you know about the Enneagram to kind of discer- determine or discern. Mm-hmm. Another what phrase we use is. around here is I see in you. Like you, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you could do that with an Enneagram, yes. Um, but again, it, the, the when we do an I see in you conversation, usually it's what we see in them that we are calling out of them that hopefully will be true. Um, I think if I was to do that in a, that situation, I would more want to know somebody's type that they say they are an Enneagram mm-hmm. and then leverage that in an ICNU conversation to say, this is what is true of you that you may not realize. I know it's true because you've told me that this is your core and this is what I know about your core identity and this is how we can draw this out. So. Number nine. Ready? Number nine. 
don't like conflict at all. They sit on the top of the Enneagram figure because in essence, they can see themselves in every number and they make incredible coaches because they always see from other perspectives. Other perspectives as I got drowned out. They don't like confrontation. They don't like So they're indecisive. They don't like conflict. Are they indecisive? Depends. Usually no, because they just say it doesn't matter. So they're not indecisive. So how does that make a great coach? Because they're not deciding anything. They're great coaches because they can see in other people from their, they can see other people's perspectives and abilities and giftings, and they can call that out of them and they can give them direction, but they're not giving direction based on something about themselves. They're giving direction based on something about the other person. So they can direct you in an area that you care about. Mm. It's not something that they necessarily have to care about or have a preference for. What are some uh, shortcomings? Well, the nine has uh, unfortunately been wounded with learning that their presence doesn't matter and that they shouldn't assert themselves. And so they have this uh, perspective that because of that, they, uh, anytime they do assert themselves, they create conflict and that creates fragmentation. And in creating that fragmentation, then it, it um, makes them not do well enough. They're driven to do well. Uh, they're driven to make things right, but they're going to do that by reconciling and harmonizing. Well, conflict doesn't doesn't do well to harmonize. Conflict creates more stress and more problems uh, in their eyes, at least initially, and coming from their wounding message in childhood. So the shortcoming is that they avoid the conflict. They don't name what they need to name. They don't say their preferences. Uh, they, um, they then have those preferences, and because they haven't named them, it comes out passive-aggressively uh, in some other form, or they get very stubborn, or they hold grudges in a closet, and then one day the closet door opens, and all the grudges spill out, and they get very, very angry. And uh, they actually have to maybe terrible. hopefully deal with their anger. That's that's the like, really worst-case scenario. What do nines need from all the other numbers? Affirmation. I have, I have two people in my life that are nines. Um, one, I'm not going to use names because— I'm not. Um, one of them is maybe not as mature yet, a little younger. And um, I noticed that with him, he has uh, not a lot of not a lot of um, energy to put up a fight or to to even mm-hmm. have opinions, and nope. will get walked all over a lot. It's exhausting by everybody. To them. Yep. Yeah. It's exhausting. Um, however, I also have another um, friend, and she is a nine and is actually a really healthy nine. And it's incredible. She recently had to do a, have, have a really hard conversation about with some people that were in authority over her. And I mean, that's the kind of thing I would imagine most nines would never want to see happen that you would actually be confronting a group of your, of your superiors Mm -hmm. in a a way. And yet she did it in a way that not only was she able to speak honestly with Mm -hmm. what, what was going on in her life, but she was able to do it and be cognizant of how it was affecting each of the people she was talking to. So she was able to, to like have that hard conversation while also caring for the needs of everybody else that she was talking to, which is, I think an incredible gift. I don't be able to do that very well. So, and understand their perspective going into it. And so therefore she could speak to it in that moment. Yes. When a nine is healthy, they're, they're, phenomenal people in that way. There, there's just a, an awareness of who they are in themselves and in connecting with, with God. I think part of it is because of seeing from all the different perspectives that uh, there's just this internal awareness of peace and harmony that they even have with the spirit. That's unique. All right. Last one. You ready? Number one. Yes. They didn't like that. I started with two because ones like order, right and wrong, black and white clarity can tend to be perfectionists, but are incredible reformers to change the world. The good person. The good person who has lost the message from childhood that they're actually good and has unconsciously assumed the message that they can't make mistakes. 
So they live with shoulds and oughts in their head. I should do this. I ought to do this all the time. And nothing is ever good enough. Uh, so are they the most judgy? Um, Yes, because they judge themselves first. Really? So anytime you feel judgment from a one, you just have to recognize that they've spent the last 60 seconds judging themselves a hundred times fold. Uh, everything for a one is, is go, goes back to it, it's never good enough. It's not right enough. So for a one uh, personality, uh, it's just patronizing to say to them, oh, that, oh, it's good. Leave it. That's good enough. Let's go on. I mean, it's like telling a oh, four. Yeah. It's like telling a four. Um, oh, I understand how you feel. You, you don't. No, nobody understands how a four feels. <laughs> not even another four understands how that four feels because it's unique to the four. It's completely patronizing to say to a one. Good enough. Good enough. Oh, wow. It's never good enough to them in their head. Hmm. So I think what we have to realize as we interact with ones is this voice is there critiquing everything all the time for them. How do we help them pass that? One way would be to ask them questions. Uh, one of the key ways would be to ask them questions about, um, okay, it's not good enough, but how can I make it what you want it to be? Or we have a time limit and uh, we've got to leave in 30 minutes. So how can I help you get it to the point where it is what it needs to be for today in the next 30 minutes? Raise the, get them to be thinking through. Yeah. Or if they say to you, um, for example, let's say a one uh, moved into a new neighborhood and said, oh, we should have a different family over every night, every family on our cul-de-sac, every night for the next two weeks until we've had every family for dinner. We should. We should have a dinner guest every night for the next two weeks. That's what we should do. Why should we do that? Yeah, that sounds terrible. I aim into that. Uh, <laughs> because, or, or every week or whatever, because it's the should. When you hear the should come from one, it's asking them, why should we do that? So that they're thinking it through because they're naturally going to do whatever should or ought is right. in, in unhealth, average to unhealth, or toward non-resourceful is a phrase we've used a little more today. Whatever they've here in their head that they should or ought to do, they're going to go do that. That's what they're vulnerable to do, and they're likely to do it unless they are moving towards health where they're asking themselves that question, mm, should we do that? Is that really what we should do? And start to think that through. So I know um, we're not supposed to put these things on our kids. You know, you, no. I, I've, I've heard it that yes. uh, you shouldn't... Don't type your kids. Type your kids or no. um, even... Uh, try to take the assessment yourself until you're mid twenties. Is that well, what I heard? Early twenties, mid twenties. Uh, Milo's a three. Is that bad? <laughs> <laughs> so the the school of thought is changing, not changing. I would say concessions are being made. Um, Richard Rohr is the one who says, uh, really, not until your thirties should you engage the Enneagram either through inventory assessment or trying to type yourself. And his main reason for that is you need time for that personality, that shield, mm -hmm. that false self energy. You need time to really get to know how powerful that is in your life to really know yourself in that way. But to my 20 something friends who have said, or who I've said that to, their response has been so great. I've got to go another decade and a half of hurting yes. myself and other people yeah. without knowledge that could help me be kind and loving and gracious and right, like Jesus. Right. What number is Richard Gore? So, so he's a one. Uh, so they should wait till yeah. they exactly. So, um, so we, we certainly engage it with young adults and we, we've done that. Our, all of our interns and residents, we use Enneagram significantly. And so I think it can be. But when you're talking about kids, mm -hmm. Uh, especially like the, you just, you, they don't know, you don't know, they don't know. And to type a kid, your child, uh, I have three children, 14, 12 and, and seven, um, to type them in, a, in one of the styles that you could be, you could just could be wrong. Like mm -hmm. you're trying to gauge the, the motives of your, your, your son or daughter. So I wrote an email, uh, last week in response 
to the marriage workshop where someone asked about this with parenting. And I just said, you know, the challenge is, you know, if you have a 14 year old son, is his laziness because he's a nine? Is it because he's a five because he has measured energy? Or is it because he's, he's a 14 year old boy or with lots of feelings or he's a 14 year old boy who just has uh, yeah. hormones that are making him lazy in that yeah. moment. And he's tired. I mean, is the eight year old. That's what I said last week. <laughs> is, is the eight year old helping him set the table because she's a two who needs to meet the needs of everybody else or a one who heard at church that Jesus was really good at serving other people. So that authority, that one or six responded authority, this is the right thing to do. You just, you just don't know. Mm. It could be any of those things in that moment. Yeah. And so uh, typing your, your son or daughter, um, there are books out there that will help you type them. I mean, there are. There's an Enneagram for Parenting that <laughs> that the authors openly say, no, this, these are our, our kids. But They're you this, do not this, endorse such books. I, do, I, I endorse the book to help you if you want to read it to help you thinking about how to parent. Mm-hmm different children of different personalities. Well, I just but don't, I don't want them, to bruise you are, my children. You already are. Oh my goodness. You just said that to a six. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sky is falling. I'm, I'm picturing my 13 year old boy. Um, when he was in first grade, there was an art project he had to do just teaching kids to cut on the thick black line, just cut the shape out. And it wasn't to his liking. It wasn't perfect enough. And it's the first time we saw any sort of, really painful emotional reaction come from my son when his teacher had to call me in for a conference later on to say that he had started to cry and he crumpled it up and he threw it away because it wasn't perfect because it wasn't perfect and it could have been because his eventually you'll learn his core is a one or he could be a six who the authority said to do this project and the authority mm. said to cut along the line and he so has to please the authority mm-hmm. but you don't know which one yeah. That and, and, but that's, that that's been a common thread through his life. I've watched him, uh, do a, a math problem where, uh, the number didn't look perfect. It wasn't that the outcome was wrong. It was that the four was misshapen or something. And he erased that mm-hmm. thing three times, he had it perfect, yeah. three times. This so, kid. So what do you do? Right. Yeah. As a parent. So, uh, so what, what we are aware of is, um, what, uh, I'm blanking on the names right now. Rizzo and Hudson uh, from Understanding the Enneagram and the Enneagram Institute. They they have a, a great compilation of capturing what I've mentioned a few times, the lost childhood message and the unconscious childhood message. So for a one, that is, uh, they've lost the message that they're good, just in who they are, and they've learned that it's not okay to make mistakes. So if I saw that in, in one of my children, if I was you, uh, I would think to myself, okay, I don't know that... His core is a one. I don't know for certain, but I do know I'm seeing that mistakes are not tolerated. Mm-hmm. I want to do. I want to reinforce the message to him in his life that it's okay to make mistakes, mm-hmm. not in a patronizing way, but in a way that says it's okay. You know, or uh, okay, you've raised that four three times. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I can do to help you make that four look like you want it to look? That kind of question. So you can step towards them in that way. So Betsy and I have an awareness with uh, particularly our boys. We're like. We have some some thoughts of where they might be, mm-hmm. um, but no sense of certainty. In fact, just the other day with, with one of my sons, I, I started thinking about a number that I've never thought might be his core and just starting to think, wait a minute, have we been even not even in the spectrum, mm-hmm. right, of thinking about different numbers? So uh, in that, kind of listening for things, watching for things, but and so approaching them with certain affirmations that relate to the messages, but... Uh, the, the most significant thing you can do, honestly, as a parent is ignore all that and be healthy yourself. 
if you are healthy in who you are, then your marriage can be healthy and your parenting can be healthy. If you're unhealthy, you can do whatever you want Mm -hmm, with those childhood messages. You can do whatever you want with knowing the Enneagram. And if you're unhealthy, it doesn't matter. People will ask me, is there, are there better typings for marriage? Like, is there certain numbers that have certain yeah, problems that's one that of the come questions up? Uh, yeah. Six, seeking seven. So, and, and yes, it, you could say, Craigslist. okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, you probably have it out there. New, new version of eHarmony. Uh, you, you, yes, that you can think of things like, for example, an eight married to a nine. There's uniquenesses there of energy level and things like that. But there's no two types that automatically are like, oh, these two numbers together are better than these two numbers. Or here's like the the bottom combinations are here, the top combinations are here. The issue is health. Mm. So Barry talked about four and seven being different. The way he described it, they have the opportunity in their um, in their differences to so complement one another very simply by the fact that Olivia is feeling dominant and Barry, by his number seven, represses his painful feelings. Olivia will step towards him and say, your lost childhood message, she won't use this language, but she might say, hey, you you don't think you can depend on anybody. Nobody's here to take care of you. I can handle every feeling you have. And Barry's like, yeah, I know she can handle every feeling I have because she can handle her own feelings. So I can enter my pain because I have a spouse who's healthy and understands feelings. On the flip side, Olivia can get paralyzed by her feelings and not do anything. Barry, as a seven, is going to do. There's going Stuff is going to happen mm-hmm. in his life. He's going to move on things and, and, and be action-oriented. And the gift he offers her is to move her out of her feelings towards doing that gives her, uh, gives her more and more health or draws her to more and more health. If they're both unhealthy, they're gonna they're gonna kill each other. <laughs> but as you move towards health, it doesn't matter the combination. Mm-hmm. Sounds so the like that's what Olivia points. wants. Why don't we all just die? Oh my goodness, <laughs> Olivia, that's so not fair that Tyler that's, just said that to yeah, you if you're listening. So bad. <clears throat> so that's that's my yeah, long answer about parenting, and, and as Betsy and I navigated ourselves and trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's a good answer. So you talked about this this morning, yes. right now, and tonight again. Oh yeah, I do teach you. Wow, tonight. David. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Thanks. You should uh, you should make like a workout DVD, but instead Enneagram DVD. Yeah, <laughs> workouts Maybe for fours. Workout, workouts working for out nines. while talking about Enneagram. Hmm. Workouts tailored to your number and your style. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Sleeping for nines. That's good. I like that. <laughs> uh, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for joining yeah, us. Thank you. Me. You guys are um, fun. That was awesome. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new about the Enneagram, and I thought that I had understood it all, but I I keep learning. I learn when I teach about it, so that's good. You do? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I learned, you learn listening and talking because the best people to talk about the Enneagram number is someone who's aware of who they are and starts to talk about mm-hmm. who they are. Ah. Well, that's the best way to know about their, the number, yeah. the person. Well, thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for being Thank here. You. Next week, we are going to gather again, and we are going to talk on the topic of singleness. Barry is preaching this coming weekend, yep, and so that's right. we hope to uh, have a pretty hearty conversation about singleness and uh, and all that comes with it. Um, but I did not think of a sign-off, and so I would love for Marin to sign us off. Uh, but until next week, um, thanks for thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God between Sundays. See you next week.